Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to episode number 34 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and of course once again... Joey Parisi, that lazy, sad sack of shit, is not here. Just kidding. He's off doing his stuff with work. Can't blame him for that. He just pops in and out whenever he pleases. I know we all think he's an asshole, too, here at the Barroom Network. But it's okay. I'm not going to be alone this week. I'm going to have a very special guest. I'm very much looking forward to this because one time that mean, mean, mean man, Joey Parisi, called the Texas Rangers a boring team and one he doesn't care about. And I took offense to that. Because I like the Texas Rangers. They've had some good teams over the years. They've been a little shaky lately, but they've been rebuilding. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And they had one of, if not the biggest offseason in all of Major League Baseball. So where do I go when I need to talk about a specific team that maybe I'm not an expert on, but I know a little bit here and there, but we'll see? I go to Fansided. Best website in the world when it comes to covering baseball. And, of course, I'm talking about Seth Carlson, the head expert of the site Nolan Wrighton. And of course, he's also contributing, talking about the New Orleans Saints, which we will get to. Mm. Of course, we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers first. Seth, how you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Oh, of course. I'm good. It's my pleasure. Uh, it's, you know, every time you're like the fifth or sixth fan-sided expert I've had on this show, and I just love bringing everybody in and talking about all the different teams because we mainly cover the Cubs and the White Sox on this show, but I love – and it's like also designed to like educate Chicago fans on the other teams across the sport. Yep. I love doing it. That's awesome, man. I'm happy to do it. Absolutely. So the Texas Rangers, interesting team right now, but before we get into any of the stuff that's gone on since the season ended, what did you make of the 2021 season for the Rangers? Oh, man. I mean, it was a disaster, just point blank. There is no other way to, to put it other than that. But, I mean, it was it was expected. It was coming. Um, and it all kind of started with the Lance Lynn trade to the White Sox uh, last offseason where the Rangers picked up uh, Dane Dunning and Avery Weems. And that was kind of the first signal um, in the offseason that the Rangers were really headed towards a rebuild. Um, and since then, it's kind of spiraled into, you know, trading away Joey Gallo and Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy and picking up prospects. And, you know, in the process, that's that sacrifices winning at the big league level. And that's really what happened in 2021. OK, so when you see Lance Lynn come over to the White Sox, comes in third place for the Cy Young, you get Love Dane it. Gunning, who a lot of 
White Sox fans were kind of sad to see go, but it's like, hey, this Lance Lynn guy, he's been really good with the Rangers for a couple years now. He's having a really good career. What did you make of what Lance Lynn did with the White Sox, and what did you make of what Dane Dunning did with the Texas Rangers? Are you still excited about the idea of having Dunning on your team? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm really happy for Lance Lynn. I mean, the guy was kind of in dire straits when he came over to the Texas Rangers in 2018. I believe he signed a three-year deal, and the Rangers kind of uh, turned around, revived his career. Uh, you know, he took a three-year deal and pitched really well. And, you know, it kind of feels like a, a reclamation project that Texas can hang their hat on um, in that regard. And, uh, no, great for him to have all that success in Chicago. It was a lot of fun to watch him pitch and really turn into an alpha kind of pitcher that, you know, the White Sox could really turn to in big situations. Uh, but for Dane Dunning, I'm, I'm excited about what he can bring to the table. He's got good stuff. Um, you know, he had a little up and down this year. He was a little inconsistent. You know, he had a bout with COVID. He had some other injuries. But in general, um, he was pretty good. Um, you know, and they limited his innings this year coming off of Tommy John recently. Uh, so, you know, they're kind of taking a cautious approach with him. But I, I like what he can bring. He, he seems like he could be a solid third or fourth starter. So we'll see what happens. Awesome. And so following that season where it was just clearly a rebuilding season, they wanted to develop some guys, get ready for the offseason. They went big in the offseason. Oh, yeah. They, they certainly didn't act like a team that was rebuilding for much longer with the way that they pursued, you know, some certain players. And I'll start with Marcus Semien. Marcus yes. Semien is somebody that a lot of Chicago White Sox fans really wanted because mm -hmm. the White Sox stupidly traded him away uh, to the Oakland A's. Yep. Yeah, all those years ago with Jeff Samarja and Chris Bassett right. and all that. Horrid, horrid, horrid trade. But the Rangers are the beneficiaries of it. It's a lot of term for somebody of his age, but it's also a lot of money. More about the term for me. What does he add to the team? What are you expecting? Are you worried about the term? Is it worth it to you? I love the deal personally for the Rangers, but you know, there there's people talking about all that kind of stuff. How excited are you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited uh, about Marcus Simeon. He's obviously an all-star um, MVP finalist last year. Um, it's a great addition for them all around. I mean, at first I was hesitant about the seven years. I mean, given his age, what is he, 30, 31, 32 yeah. right now? Yeah. So, you know, give, give, given, you know, and the Rangers have questionable history in the past with giving out con big contracts to superstar players. You know, we won't talk about Alex Rodriguez. Uh, but, um, no, in general, though, I'm, I feel really good about the Marcus Simeon signing. He brings a, a veteran presence to a, a very young team. Um, he's an established middle-of-the-order threat. He plays good defense. He works hard. And I think the most important thing, though, about Simeon is that he fits what the Rangers are trying to build culturally. Uh, Chris Woodward, the manager, is really trying to promote a culture of, you know, hard workers, work ethics. Um, and Marcus Simeon is just very humble, shows up every day, plays the game the right way. And those are the kind of players that they want to be building around. Uh, going forward. So I'm very, very excited about Simeon, even after initially getting over the fear of giving him seven years, especially at his age. That's awesome. And when you think that a team like the Texas Rangers signed someone like Marcus Simeon, you brought up A-Rod, how that really didn't work out too well for them, but they ended up letting him go. He ended up being with the New York Ran uh, Yankees. I'm getting the Rangers and Yankees confused. <laughs> Thanks, <Yeah>. hockey. Um, <laughs> Corey Seager. Decided yeah. to go to the Texas Rangers. You would have thought that with Semi and the Rangers was like, all right, that, that's our big move this offseason. They were like, nope, not today. Nah. Corey Seager, huge deal. How, in your eyes, does he help the team build? Oh, I mean, Corey Seager was the guy, I think, for the Rangers. I mean, Simeon was more, if anything, Simeon was the surprise. Uh, we all kind of expected the Rangers to be um, active in the shortstop market. Uh, we know they were heavy on. Um, Trevor Story, they were heavy on Carlos Correa. There was a lot of rumors around both, a lot of smoke. But ultimately, um, 
Seager's connection to Chris Woodward, who had been in L.A. with the Dodgers as their third base coach. I think that really kind of solidified um, him coming to Texas. And, uh, no, he, he's the kind of middle-of-the-order big bat, um, you know, shortstop with, you know, World Series experience. Um, he actually raked in that 2020 postseason at Globe Life Field. Um, so he loves hitting there. Um, no, we're really, really excited to have him on board. Um, you know, the 10 years, you know, is, you know, you can, you can have a little pause at that because, you know, he has an injury history. Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, you live with the injuries because you know he's a superstar player and you know that him and Simeon are going to be a formidable middle infield tandem for years to come on, you know, that you, you can't beat that. I mean, Simeon and Seager, uh, we can't wait for baseball to start. Let's get this lockout over with. Yeah, for real. And I, I love seeing it. I think the Texas Rangers are going to compete and, you know, they might be a year or two away from really being one of those top Absolutely. world series contenders, yeah. but I mean, they got them locked up long-term they're developing players around them. And then they added some depth, John Gray and Cole Calhoun, certainly not difference makers in terms of every single day, uh, changing the game, stuff like that, but they're good players. They're going to add stuff to the uh, Texas Rangers that will elevate them maybe beyond a replacement level player. What are your thoughts on that depth with additions like those two guys? Yeah, I mean, John Gray, I mean, the Rangers have to go after pitching. I mean, I was saying it yesterday on the Nolan Wright and Twitter. I mean, this this rotation, when you look at it, it's just awful for 2022. I mean, their, their best pitcher right now is, is John Gray. And he's no better than, I would say, a three-starter, two-starter, maybe if he reaches that ceiling. And the thing that I would say about John Gray, though, is that it, it feels very similar to Lance Lynn. It feels very similar to Kyle Gibson, who had a, re- a resurgent season last year. Um there's one other one that I can't think of. It was, it was, it was Lynn Gibson. They signed another veteran, Mike Miner. Um, they, they revived the careers of these pitchers in their thirties. And I think John Gray who's entering his age 30 season, you know, is kind of in a similar position, just got a four year deal. So I'm very optimistic that the Rangers can help John Gray reach his ceiling after spending um, his career in Colorado to this point, getting out of the altitude. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the John Gray signing, but they got a lot of work to do in that rotation. Um, they got a lot of really intriguing pitching prospects on the way, but John Gray is a good start. Um, and then in terms of Cole Calhoun, um, I didn't really know what to make of that move at first, honestly. Um, you know, I know he had killed the Rangers in the past uh, as a member of the Angels, just constantly tormented our team. And, um, you know, the same for the rest of the AL West. The AL West is not happy he's back. I'm just glad he's playing on our side this time, not 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 for the Angels. Uh, but not, um, I, the Cole Calhoun signing is good. I mean, I think he'll provide nice veteran depth. Again, it's that leadership element that that, that Chris Woodward wants. It's that culture thing that he wants. And, you know, he was only given $5 million. So, you know, solid, solid signing. It's definitely going to be interesting seeing Cole Calhoun play for an AL West, West team that's not, not, not the, the Angels. Angels. We're happy about that. <laughs> absolutely. So you brought up Globe Life. Corey Seager, he absolutely dominated while playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the World Series in 2020. Of course, they used Globe Life as a neutral site. Have you gotten around to visiting Globe Life Stadium yet? If you have, what do you make of it? If you haven't? Um, what what is the common reception of it amongst Rangers fans? I actually have have not been out there yet. Uh, but the common perception is that you know I think I think that people like it. Uh, but it definitely has like an industrial kind of look. It's very um, it, it's very bland design. Um, you know there there's nothing. You know it, it's 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 a state of the art modern f- facility. But um, in terms of it, you know it doesn't have the appeal of let's say a Camden Yards or a PNC Park. You know when you talk about some of the most beautiful aesthetically pleasing ballparks, a Globe Life Field isn't going to rank very high um, on that. I would actually argue that the um, Globe Life Park in Arlington, uh, the old stadium, uh, was nicer. Uh, the only issue is that, um, you know, over the summer, those games would be unbearable uh, with the Texas heat in the middle of the summer. 
And that's how a lot of player injuries would, would come about. And, you know, fans would just be, you know, sweltering in the heat. So the, the AC is, is, is a pretty nice uh, perk in the stadium. But uh, from what I've heard, it's, it's, it's a nice stadium, but um, you know, it's nothing special. It's, you know, it, it's, but it's better than sitting in the Texas heat all summer. Yeah. I completely understand that. It seems like a lot of these stadiums lately that are coming up, they have more of like that state of the art level feel, not really, building on tradition is much more of like a fan experience and comfort over anything. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think the Rangers do a great job with the, with the fan experience. So I'm sure that that's not being taken away, you know, just because the stadium lacks in a little bit of you know, creative design, but in general, yeah, I mean, the, the experience seems to be positive. Sure. And the American league West is a yes. very good division. It was not always that way. The Astros dominated it for a long time, but the Oakland days are trending down. I yep. would say that the Seattle Mariners are probably trending up, but we'll see if they're able to kind of repeat what they did last year. I think it's a tall task. The Houston Astros are still the Houston Astros, even though they're probably going to be losing Carlos Correa. Verlander's back. They develop people. I know they had the controversy a couple years ago, but there's no doubt that the Houston Astros are great at developing talent and winning baseball games. And then the Los Angeles Angels have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, who right. you can argue are the first and second best player in Major League Baseball. No so doubt. where, in your opinion, do the Texas Rangers fit into all of that right now? So right now, I would probably have them fourth in the ALS. I would say with the Oakland A's selling off, um, I would say, you know, let, let's put Oakland where Texas was last year, you know, selling off all their pieces and entering a rebuild. I mean, we don't really know what their direction is looking like. So the good news for the Rangers is that it's probably not looking like a last place season and we'll probably see some improvement. Uh, the bad news is that, you know, despite improvement, we'll probably still be looking at a 70, 75 win season. But, you know, you have to take that in the context of they only won 60 games last year. They they won 60 and 102, which is, you know, really bad. <laughs> so, you know, to be able to win 70, 75 games next year, you know, with the additions you've made and trending up with the farm system, I really just feel like the sky is the limit. But I think in terms of right now, I would say fourth place around 70 to 75 wins is reasonable for next season. Okay. You got Corey Seager, who's a World Series champion and been part yep. of many, many playoff runs. Marcus Semien, since leaving the White Sox, has really only tasted playoff success. He never really got to the top of the mountain yet. But mm -hmm. these guys see something in the Texas Rangers that they were able to convince. And I, I know money has a lot to do with it. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the green path is always the brightest in a lot of oh, people's yes. eyes. But a guy, guys want to win, too. I've yep. always said free agents look for three things. The first is money. We all want to yep. get paid. The second is playing time. We all want to play. The third is an opportunity to win. It seems like the Texas Rangers, they have playing time available for both of them, and they yep. had a lot of money available for both of them. Is the opportunity to win something that was on their criteria? I would think so. So do you believe that the fact that they signed these guys might mean that there is something there that people believe is a reason to think that they could compete for a World Series in short order? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the, the first thing is, um, again, Chris Woodward establishing a culture and trying to bring in these veteran presences, you know, to be – you know, mentors to these young guys and getting back to the young guys. Um, you know, the Rangers have a rising farm system. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize how good the Rangers farm system is. It's definitely um, one of the deepest, if not the deepest in baseball in terms of, you know, the talent they have, but, you know, they finished the year on MLB.com on MLB pipelines, uh, prospect rankings or uh, farm system rankings. They finished 11th, uh, which was a, one of the biggest jumps of any team in baseball uh, this past season. Uh, so that's really a testament to the fact that, you know, this depth is is legitimate. They have a lot of really good talent. 
you know, especially in infielders, they've got a ton of really good infielders, but they've also now got some really good pitchers. Uh, you know, they just drafted Jack Leiter second overall in June. Uh, they've got Cole Wynn, a really good prospect. They've got uh, Ricky Venasco is a sleeper who they took out of high school a few years ago. He's, you know, he's back on the minor league track after Tommy John surgery. I mean, they got some guys, they got some dudes down in the farm system now. And, you know, again, the, the Rangers still, you know, aren't getting quite the respect that I think they should be getting in their farm system. You know, 11's pretty good and we'll give them the fact that they got a big jump. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, part of the thing with recruiting these free agents is that, you know, they know they're not going to win right away, but you know what's coming. And you know that it's coming fast. You know, a lot of these guys are going to be up by 2023 potentially. And, you know, that's only one season away. So if you're willing to put up with, you know, a season where, you know, you might only win 70 to 75 games in 2022, but you know what's coming. I think it makes it well worth it in the end. I love hearing that. And when the Rangers took Jack Leiter with the second overall pick last year, I was so excited. I was I know. so I was happy because there were so many rumors that Leiter was going to fall to like the Red Sox at four. And I'm like, okay, I like the Boston Red Sox. They're going to, you know, that organization does great things. They're going to have one bad year in the COVID 2020 season, draft Jack Leiter while they're in first place of the currency. Like it just, it felt crazy to me. Yeah. And so when yeah. the Rangers landed a top pitching prospect like that, I was so excited. Oh, absolutely. So I think everybody was. I mean, a, a lot of the Rangers fans that uh, I was interacting with, they also really wanted Jack Leiter. Um, I was concerned that when Pittsburgh took um, Henry Davis first overall, the catcher, um, you know, the Rangers were kind of um, hot on the trails of a lot of these shortstop prospects. You know, the Red, the Red Sox, for example, they took uh, Marcelo Mayer. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a slam dunk that if the Pirates weren't going to take Mayer first overall, the Rangers were going to take him second. Because it just felt like, you know, all the all just everything was leading up to that. And so, you know, but when, you know, they took Jack Leiter second overall, uh, it was, I wouldn't say it was surprising because he definitely was worth the second overall selection. Absolutely. But I would say the fact that they had Marcelo Mayer available, they had Jordan Lawler available. They, they really liked him. Uh, the fact that they had a lot of these shortstops available and they still went with Leiter. Um, I think that really kind of got Rangers fans thinking that this rebuild might actually be different than some of the past ones, you know, and yeah. it just got everybody really excited. As a fan of the White Sox, they're finally good again, and it's been a long time coming. They the, A lot of prospects came through the ranks, and they kind of did it the right way, and now they're really just kind of like some supplementing away from legitimately competing with the Houston Astros for the American League. The, you mm -hmm. know, once the lockout is over, we'll see how they address some of those issues. But the thing that scares me the most as a fan of a team that is competing is trading away prospects for win-now type players. And, you know, you saw it with Nick Madrigal going for to the Cubs for Craig Kimbrell. Or right. they traded Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn. You know, so right. those those don't always work. The Kimber one mm -hmm. didn't work. The Lance Lynn one did. When you're the Texas Rangers and you're still short of being contender status, but you signed Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, who you would think hold the middle of the infield for the next seven years or so. And that makes some of those prospects that you alluded to trade bait now. But then if they get traded off to other teams and become superstars while Seager and Semyon are on the decline. Is that scary to you as a fan of a rebuilding team? Cause it certainly was, and is still is for me. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is. And I would say um, the top prospects in the system should be untouchable. Um, we're talking to Josh Jong, the third baseman, Jack Leiter, the pitcher, Cole Wynn, another pitcher uh, guys of those ilk, for example, should, should be off the table in trade talks, but you know, I'll allude back to the depth that I was talking about earlier. This system, the Texas Rangers farm system has a ton of depth. They have, you know, a glut of infielders that, you know, I think, you know, could be dangled as trade bait. 
you know, to get a player to upgrade the roster. And I, I, we wrote an article up a couple days ago on Nolan Wright and recently about five prospects that uh, we could probably afford to trade, you know, in, in the coming year, you know, if we want to make an upgrade to get, you know, say a Matt Olson or a Luis Castillo or Sonny Gray, you know, whoever it may be, you know, I think the, the Rangers have the prospect capital. Now they've, they've amassed enough depth over the years, you know, and even the last, and definitely within the last year, where you know making a trade and giving up some of these young guys, yeah, of course it's scary. Of course you don't want to be trading away prospects during your rebuild if you can avoid it. Uh, but I think the, the Rangers have have enough depth now where I feel like if they want to make a trade, um, they can. You know because again they have so much depth and they don't even have to touch their top ten. And I would encourage them to you know look if they if they feel like they can get somebody you know somebody elite with you know the prospect depth that they have, um, I think they should go for it. Are the Astros the team you're still the most concerned with in the American League West? Oh, and, for how, and for how long? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, the Astros are still uh, the number one threat. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about the Mariners, though. I don't think I don't see them overtaking Houston this year, but I honestly am very excited about them uh, going forward. And again, the Angels, I mean, um, you know, they'll be good. I mean, they do have the two best players in baseball, arguably, but. Uh, I'm not sure they've done enough to address their pitching quite yet. Like the Rangers, they 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 also seem to have a little bit of a pitching deficiency. So, yeah, I think if the Angels can figure out a way for Shohei Otani to be their number two or three in the rotation, yeah. and let him lead off or bat third, whatever he does, hitting 45 home runs a season, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a key to their success for sure. Yes, 100% agree. Um, the Mariners, I like talking to division rivals about their other teams because I feel like. Sometimes you have the best insight because you see them from a non-fan point of view, but you also see them almost as much as the actual fans of the team. Like, I yeah. feel like I could critique the Minnesota Twins and the right. Cleveland Guardians just as good, if not better, than the White Sox because I see them all the time. You see them all the time, yep. But but I'm not a fan of them, so I could do, do it rationally. No bias, no right, pessimism, right. anything like that. The Mariners were so good last year, and they it was really like, were. when is it going to fall off? They make a couple trades at the trade deadline that – I was suggest some of those deals. Yeah. yeah. It, um, what's his name? Who the White Sox just landed? Kendall Graveman. Graveman. It's yeah. like they were so mad that they trade him. And they're are we trying to win? We're ten games right. over five hundred. We have a good chance at the playoffs, and then they just miss by a game or two. Yeah. It was kind of devastating as a baseball fan. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like the Mariners, like they're 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 not a team that I hate by any means. I mean, I think you, you want you want you want to see the Mariners, even if they're in my division. You you want you want you want to see them win. Um you want to see them have success and do well. Um, so for me, um, I'm really excited about what, 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 you know, what their potential has, you know, I think they have, they have that outfit. They have, they have Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelenic and Julio Rodriguez. I think that could be their potential outfield. I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's just a, a dynamic outfield right there. Uh, that's going to cause us problems for years, but it'll be really exciting to watch. Um, you know, but I, I, I'm really excited about them. Look, I, I, I'll admit I don't know that much about them as much as I probably should. But I mean, uh, they, they, they look like a team that's definitely on the rise. And, you know, we're not looking forward to uh, having to face them uh, 19 times a year. But the rivalry should be great, you know, going forward. Rangers and Mariners are the future of the AL West, in my opinion. And, you know, seeing those two teams go head to head for the next, you know, five, you know, however many years down the road. I'm really, 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 excuse me, really excited about that. Very cool. I'm excited about the AOS in general. We talk about we talk about the AOS and NOS on this podcast so much mm. because they're just so entertaining. But Absolutely. I got to know to close out the AOS conversation. What are your expectations for the 2022 Rangers? You don't have to give me like a full blown record or anything like that. But growth, this player, that player. What are your thoughts? 
say, well, I, I, I would, I would say I could give you a record. I would say so, like, I, I would say let's go 70 and 92. I'm being a little conservative, but I do think um, Seager and Simeon, Gray, Calhoun will all help. Uh, but again, the, the, the pitching is, is still not where it should be. Uh, so that will hold them back. You know, the Rangers will have to start winning games, you know, 10 to eight now, you know, it's just like, you know, they got a good line, a really good lineup. Um, but their pitching staff is, is lagging behind. Uh, but I would say, you know, they're, they're, they're in, they're in a much better position obviously than they were in, in 2021. And they're going to take a step forward and the latest betting odds seem to agree. The over-under has been set at around 71 and a half, according to win bet for Rangers wins in 2022. So I can, I can get on board, uh, with that number. But I would say, yeah, I mean, I, I expect a, a better year from them, obviously, with Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And I expect the younger guys around them to, you know, feel their influence, you know. And one of the things I'm really interested in seeing in 2022 with the Rangers is Adolis Garcia, who was an absolute phenom this year for the Rangers. He was really good in May and June, kind of fell off those second half of the season, strikes out way too much, but does provide a good amount of power, provides really good defense. I want to see if he can carry this into 2022. And I want to see if he can continue to establish himself as a legitimate entity at the major league level, you know, because he kind of just came out of nowhere last year. Uh, so I kind of want to see uh, what he brings to the table next year, if he can kind of continue building off a, a positive first season where, um, you know, he got some rookie of the year votes and deservedly. So in my opinion, um, he's a really good, really dynamic player. And I, I hope he continues to build off of his success uh, next year. That's awesome. I can't wait to watch the Texas Rangers. They're they're one of my top 10 teams that I'm interested in catching as soon as the lockout's over and we start playing baseball. You're also a contributor for Who Dat Dish at the Fan yes. Side of Network covering the New Orleans Saints. That's right. Very interesting season for Sean Payton's team. What did you make of that year for them and what needs do the Saints have for the 2022 NFL season? Receiver, receiver, receiver. I mean, they just have no – they have nobody catching passes for them. Uh, I mean, they, they Michael Thomas was out for the year with the ankle injury that he took way too long to get that surgery. He, you know, drew it out way too long. Uh, th th they have nobody catching passes for them. That, 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 that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, they have Alvin Kamara. They have a really elite running back. They have a good offensive line. Um, you know, they, they should probably address the quarterback position also. Although, you know, Jameis went five and two when they when he was starting. And, you know, he was looking pretty good in that offense. You know, if they, he had more weapons, um, you know, I, I would say they would probably be in the playoffs. Like, I, I think I think they had I think they had a, I would say all, all things considered with the covid and with the displacement from the hurricane in week one and all the circumstances that happened that transpired. I mean, given everything that happened and finishing nine and eight and, you know, being in the playoff race until the last, you know, last week. Um, that's really impressive and a hell of a coaching job by Sean Payton. I personally feel like he should be the coach of the year. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I mean, I, I personally feel like um, that's 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 a good season. Not nine and eight, considering what what happened this year with all the quarterbacks and the lack of playmakers and COVID, et cetera. I'll take it. Yeah, you just got me so fired up for the Saints because I think the NFL is like a much better place when the New Orleans Saints are competing. And I agree. you're right about the five and two Jameis. Like, can they bring him? Are they going to try and upgrade over him? And one thing, I'm a Tom Brady guy. I know you probably don't like hearing that. I'm a Chicago Bears it fan, is what but I'm a Tom is, Brady know. guy. I'm a <laughs> Chicago Bears fan, but I root for Tom Brady when he's not playing them. Yeah. The Saints have Tom Brady's Buccaneers figured out. So Absolutely if they can do. figure out whatever it was, the receivers and all that going into next year, 
I think they have a chance at regaining because they were dangerous early yeah. on. And then it kind of like took a spiral towards the end of the season. They could be dangerous next year. There's no you know, doubt and, and, in my mind. Oh, absolutely. Everybody wants to talk about the playoff defeat, right? Everybody wants to talk about that. You know, the Bucks retired Drew Brees, right? We sent him off packing 30 to 20 in the divisional round last year. And, you know, that, that that's all fine and good. But, yeah, I mean, I just I just saw uh, two season sweeps in a row in the regular season of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, beating Tom Brady four times. You know, Tom Brady's never had a division rival like the New Orleans Saints. And it's evident because he's one in five in, in or one in four in career games against the Saints since coming to Tampa. So, yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, that that Saints defense, uh, they're a bunch of dogs, man. They got a lot of swagger. They play hard. They play fast. Um, Demario Davis, the linebacker, doesn't get enough love, man, does not get enough love. Uh, man should be making the Pro Bowl every year, be an all pro. Uh, he's really the leader of that defense. And, you know, that's a big reason why they're able to stifle Tom Brady. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they get if they upgrade a quarterback, you know, Jameis, it would be great to have him back next year. But if they want to go trade for Russell Wilson, you know, make that happen, I'd be all for that. I think, I think you know, the roster is in a good enough place, in my opinion. It's veteran enough. There's enough talent there. We're bringing in Russell Wilson and slotting him in, you know, giving him a chance to win. Absolutely. Uh, I think if they want to upgrade a quarterback, I would not be opposed to that at all. There are two teams whose offseason I'm excited about the most, besides the Bears as a fan of the Bears. Of it's the Steelers and the Saints. Yeah, with the, I believe yeah, the Steelers both as of well. those Both of those teams, you throw in a really good quarterback, and exactly. it could be a 13-win season next year. I, I, I think so. Like, you know, I think the Bucks fans, you know, let them enjoy it. You know, it's, it's their joyride. But, you know, we're coming back next year. You know, it ain't over. It ain't over yet. Absolutely. So you got eight games or eight teams left, four games left this weekend. Who do you got in those games? So for this weekend, I actually got a couple upset picks coming up. Okay. I got uh, I like the Bengals over the Titans this weekend. Okay. Cool. And I like the Niners over the Packers. Wow. You know, we like hearing that on this show. Yeah, I, I the fans watching like this that. show I like love hearing, hearing that. that. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just, I just remember the last time the Niners played the Packers in the playoffs, and the time before that they played. You know, the Niners just run the ball down the Packers' throats, and they can't do anything about it. And you know, keep Rogers on the sidelines. I mean, you know, I know the game's going to be in Lambeau with the cold weather, but I mean, you know, it's still this running attack, and Green Bay's got to show me that they can stop that running attack, man. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Debo Samuel's a beast. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to say, I, I think the Packers should be on upset alert this weekend. I really do believe that. And then, you know, for the for the Bengals, man, I mean, I, I might be biased. I love Joey franchise. I love Joe, Joe Burrow. Everybody does. I mean, he's just he's just incredible to watch. Um, and, you know, look, no disrespect to the Titans. I mean, De- uh, King Henry's coming back. You know, Ryan Tannehill has been pretty solid. You know, but that defense worries me a little bit. Um, you know, Titans defense is probably not as not great. It's not great for a one seed, I would say. You know, they're really counting on Derrick Henry to, to really be the difference maker. And, you know, I, I love Joe. I love Joe Burrow. Uh, I mean, who doesn't? But I think yeah. one player to watch, though, on the Bengals is Trey Hendrickson, former Saint. Everybody thought last year when he had 13 and a half sacks for the Saints, it was a mirage. You know, this third round pick out of Florida Atlantic. You know, everybody thought, oh, who's this guy? You know, one breakout season. He just had a, you know, what did he have? Like close to, he had close to 13 and a half again this year. He had a bunch of sacks for the Bengals on the defense this year. And he's clearing the concussion protocol, and he should play this weekend. Watch out for him because he's he's a he's a menace up front, man. He'll rush that passer. Absolutely. And then you got the other two games, the Kansas City. Chiefs yeah. So the other the two games, um, the 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 Chiefs Bills game is definitely the hardest one uh, for me to pick. Those that's just probably the, the most evenly matched game. I want to give the edge to the Bills, though. I really do because I mean, who doesn't want to see Josh Allen play for the Super Bowl? You know, who doesn't want to see the Bills in the Super Bowl? 
you know, it would be great. Um, I would love to see a Bills Bengals AFC Championship game, and that's that's kind of how I'm going to roll right now. I'm hoping for a little Bills Bengals action, you know, playing for the Super Bowl. Um, and then yeah, the Bucks and the Rams. That's also a pretty evenly matched game. I would say the uh, the Rams beat the Bucks earlier in the year. Um, as a Saints fan, it's a tough game for me though because you know the Bucks are you know my my rival, you know, and and the Rams. You know, we have a history with the Rams, the playoff game with the no call and. You know, this year, them choking away that game against the 49ers, that could have gotten us in if they had won. Uh, so got some hard feelings for the Rams, got some hard feelings for the Bucks. But, man, I really, really don't want to hear about Tom Brady anymore. I really don't want to hear about the Bucks. you know, in our division, talking all that smack. You know, I really don't want to hear that anymore. So I'm going to go with the Rams. I, 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 I want to I see. I, I guess that would be an upset pick. I mean, I guess because the Bucks would probably be favored. So. I'm going to go Rams. So I guess I got three upset picks this weekend. It's, there's Luckily, I'm not betting too much money on any of these games. Very good. And who's, <laughs> who, who's your Super Bowl pick? Oh, man. I would probably say um, Bills-Rams. Okay. Very cool. It, 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 interesting. Interesting. But, I mean, again, that, that's pending a Green Bay upset. That's pending a Bucks upset. But, man, that's, yeah. the, one, that, that's the one I want. I mean, it's certainly possible. Both teams are good enough. I, I absolutely think both teams are good enough. The Rams have superstars at every impactful position. For some positions, they have two superstars. Yeah. Like, you know, they have Von Miller and Aaron Donald uh, Pat, uh, rushing the passer. And, of course, you have a really good quarterback in Matthew Stafford, good receivers in Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. Like, I, the Rams are very good. And then, of course, the Buffalo Bills had the first perfect offensive game in the history of the oh, NFL. It, it, it like, was that's just awesome. in, in offensive football. It was it was amazing to watch that. Yeah, against a coach like Bill Belichick. Yeah, so like, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, you, nobody does that to Bill Belichick. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Absolutely. And I thought of one thing before I let you go. You mentioned absolutely. that you're a Joe Burrow fanboy, and I made the connection between <laughs> the fact that you're a Saints fan. Are you an LSU guy? I am not an LSU guy, uh, but, I mean, it's just fun to watch Joe Burrow, man. I mean, I, you, you can't not have fun watching him play. Uh, but that, that that it's a it's 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 a good question to 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 ask, you know. That's definitely fair. But no, not 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 an LSU guy. Okay. Joe Burrow very guy, cool. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Seth Carlson. Is there any work or stuff you want to promote about yourself before you head on out of here? Uh yeah, feel free to follow the uh the Twitter handle uh, on the screen here at Real One SC on Twitter. Um I'm talking Rangers, Saints, baseball, anything really. Uh, and then, you know, go head on over to Nolan Wrighton on Fansided for the best Texas Rangers coverage out there. Uh, we got a great team of contributors. we got a great Twitter account. We're always a lot of fun. We love interacting with the fans. So uh, feel free to check us out. Absolutely. And as you've seen through this interview, Seth Carlson is the nicest person in the history of Texas Rangers baseball. Uh, Nolan Wrighton. Glad to hear that, man. Yeah, no problem. No, Nolan Wrighton's a great site. It is. He's not lying. I'm unbiasedly saying it. Nolan Wrighton is the best Texas Rangers website on the internet. I learn a lot of things from perusing that website, covering the White Sox and the Cubs for this show and the two fan-sided sites that I cover them for. I can't thank Seth enough for coming on. You have been a great guest. You got it, Matt. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Absolutely. And for those watching, we would like to send you to a quick commercial break. What was the toughest group for you to, to break into? Was it, you know, owners was it other team executives was it the agents was it the players i mean where did you find the obstacles well i'll answer that in a few ways uh you are absolutely right when i went to my first league meeting i was the only woman in the room 
so look, look, for many of the people listening to this, they weren't even born when I started my career. I started with the Raiders in the early part of the mid-80s as an intern, and shortly thereafter, also in the mid-80s on a full-time basis. And I went to that first league meeting, and I was the only woman in the room. Uh, but I received a lot of support from a lot of the team owners in that room, men like Lamar Hunt and Wellington Mira and Ralph Wilson, to name a few. Oh, oh, and atop the list, Dan Rooney. Um, they, and I should have named Dan first. You know, this was at a time I joined the Raiders when Al was involved in a legal dispute with the league. The league had sued the Raiders. Al had counterclaimed. I joined the organization. And, and the reason I note that is these men that I just named, Dan Rooney, Lamar Hunt, Wellington Mara, Ralph Wilson, they were adverse to Al in that litigation. But from the moment I entered that room, they offered me their support and their encouragement, and they did so for all the years we interacted. As to players, I never, over the course of almost 30 years, had any experience with a player in which I sensed any resentment on, on anyone's part or any opposition based on my gender. My experience with players was they wanted to know, how are you helping make us a better team? How are you contributing to help us win? And if one was contributing in that regard, that was great by way of players. Was there opposition to me based on my gender? Of course there was. Did I care? Not one bit. And I can't thank Seth Carlson enough for coming on this show. I love bringing on different people to talk about teams that aren't the Cubs or the White Sox because I like it when people like baseball. Yeah, we love the Cubs. Yeah, we love the White Sox as a town. I think growing the game and educating people. When, when the Texas Rangers come to town now next season, White Sox fans – I hope that you think back to this interview and maybe just know a little bit more than you might have if I didn't have Seth Carlson on, because I think he's amazing at bringing some of this stuff on. I'm going to address King Pookie Nation's comment about news on the MLB lockout. There's really not that much to support based on what I'm gathering. They are meeting. They're worrying about things like expanding the playoffs, DH to the National League. Money hasn't really been discussed at all. I haven't heard anything other than mostly discussing rule changes. I know the Major League Baseball presented something money-related to them last week, and nothing has really come of that yet. So I also think the playoffs are probably going to expand. So, you know, more teams are going to have a chance later in the season to make it to the postseason, which I think is good personally because you play 162 games and then boom, it's over in like a day. Some some people like that because it's old school and it's the way it's been for so long. But for 50 years of Major League Baseball's existence, there was also two divisions, the East and the West or whatever it was, and the winner of each one played in the World Series. And Yankee fans brag about their 27 World Series when 21 of them were in that format where they were just the best team in their division, made it to the World Series, and then won the thing by that. So things change, things adapt, there's more teams. And then another thing being discussed today is expansion. Most people believe that the Oakland A's are going to be moving from Oakland to Las Vegas. So that's not really expansion. That's more of just relocation. 
So Vegas coming back to major or coming into Major League Baseball would be interesting. The Vegas Raiders have had success. They made the postseason this year, and you know it's really fun to see them play at that stadium. And then, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights are the true success story of Vegas sports because in year one they made it to the Stanley Cup final, season tickets for days, people supporting the team. Now they're one of these big like model franchises in the National Hockey League. So Vegas doing well for themselves. Montreal and Nashville are being discussed as the two towns for Major League Baseball expansion. I'm all for expansion. That means more people will enjoy baseball. That means more people will start playing baseball. And as someone who started playing it when I was five years old, literally organized baseball, five years old, I love seeing more kids play it. I want Canada to start adapting it more than just in Toronto. I think Quebec getting the would probably be the Montreal Expos back into existence. The Tampa Bay Rays, by the way, talking about doing this split between Montreal and Tampa Bay. No, no. give Montreal their own team and stop trying to tell me that Tampa Bay can't support baseball. Do you know why I think that's a complete joke? Because the Tampa Bay Lightning are a hockey team, the fourth most popular sport in North America for men is hockey. And it's a southern state where the sun is shining all day long. And you're telling me that the Tampa Bay Lightning, not only are they one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, they're one of the most important teams in the National Hockey League. And you're telling me baseball can't be supported in Tampa Bay? Florida produces more Major League Baseball players than a lot of states. People love baseball in Florida, especially Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a great sports town. Don't tell me that the Tampa Bay Rays can't be supported in Tampa. The reason they're not being supported in Tampa, even though they have this all-world roster, they're one of the three best teams in the American League year after year after year, is because Tropicana Field stinks. Nobody likes going to Tropicana Field. It's a stinky place to watch and play baseball. And it's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. It's very difficult to get to. Put a baseball field near, I don't want to, you know, it doesn't have to be right next to the Amelie Arena where the Tampa Bay Lightning play, but clearly there's good fan passion in that part of Tampa Bay. Get the stadium in a place where people will enjoy going. It's not hard. I know there's money and there's building and but if you want to have a successful franchise, that's the key to it. If you can't afford to do that, maybe you're not a proper owner for Major League Baseball. Sorry, Tampa Bay Rays need to stay in Tampa Bay. They need to build that fan base. I know the fan base is there. And, you know, I was just reminded. I think getting a Tampa Bay Rays expert on this show will be super a super good idea. I'm going to work on that. I want to talk about this with somebody who knows more on the situation than I do, even though I feel like I know a fair amount. Okay, moving on. Last week on this show, we had Liam Hendricks, the closer of the Chicago White Sox. He was outstanding. I loved every minute of having this guy on our show. And he talked about a couple things that were interesting to me, besides, of course, talking about Legos and Star Wars and, you know, doing all sorts of things with comic books and all that kind of stuff. I loved hearing about all that. But from the baseball side of things, and by the way, I think Liam Hendricks really did appreciate not only being barraged with baseball questions the entire time. Of course, we've got to talk baseball. But he enjoyed talking about some of the more lighthearted things in life. So, but as far as the baseball side, he talked about Michael Kopech. He referred to Michael Kopech as one of the most talented people 
that he ever met in his entire life. And so I we didn't really get into detail on his personal side, Michael Kopech, because it's not for me to ask Liam Hendricks, in my opinion. We all know about the stuff he's dealt with off the field. But when he says most talented person, he didn't say most talented baseball player. He said most talented person, meaning he believes Michael Kopech has what it takes to not only be a great pitcher, a great baseball player, and a great person. And you need a lot of those things to be a superstar in Major League Baseball. I believe Liam Hendricks is a guy who his opinion means a little more to me on something like that. Hearing that he believes that about Michael Kopech is important to me. So Michael Kopech will be a starter for the Chicago White Sox this season. He'll probably line up as the number four in the rotation by, I would say, mid-May. Maybe by the end of the season, he could be the guy who is starting game one of the playoffs. And then the opening day starter in 2023. I mean, the sky is the limit for Michael Kopech. He throws 100 miles per hour, and it moves like a slider. And then his changeup and... Uh, breaking pitches are just nasty and they fool hitters because he also throw those hard, but not as hard. And he's just an outstanding pitcher. I cannot wait to see him as a starter. He was one of six White Sox pitchers, which led major league baseball in to have 100 strikeouts on the season. He did it in significantly less innings than a lot of the guys who reached that pinnacle as starters. So, and of course, Craig Kimbrell. He talked about Craig Kimbrell because we brought that up with Michael Kopech and the ponytail gang and all that. Liam Hendricks really enjoyed Craig Kimbrell. And someone pointed out to me Liam Hendricks' stats in the eighth inning, and they were awesome. Elite. He's just as good in the eighth inning as he is in the ninth inning. Um, thank you, Katie, for the comments on the Liam interview. That's very kind. I appreciate that. I love hearing that everyone enjoyed the interview. And so for Kimbrell, Bringing him in was extremely important because it gave it gave like a little boost. It ended up not working in the end. Nick Magical and Cody Hoyer are going to go over to the Cubs and have really nice careers. I'm happy for them. People are talking about trading Craig Kimbrell. The White Sox have even put it out there. I'm not sure why. Why get rid of Craig Kimbrell if you're not going to get fair return back for him? I'm all in on keeping Craig Kimbrell. Figure out a way, use them both as closers, use Liam in the eighth. Do what you got to do to get the most out of both of them because if you have Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks at the top of their level, I believe they have a chance to have a World Series level bullpen. They still already do. People for Kendall Graveman is awesome. Aaron Bummer is filthy. And then I believe Garrett Crochet is a year behind Michael Kopech on doing the exact same stuff as him. And speaking of young guys making an impact, the White Sox signed two international free agents similar to how they landed Jose Abreu in 2014 or Luis Robert in 2017. You signed these guys in the international free agent pool. And not many people have been better in the international free agent pool over the last six or seven years than the Chicago White Sox, just completely revamping their team by adding some of these guys. And, of course, Oscar Colas or Colas. I'm not perfectly sure how to say it yet. I like the idea of Colas. Because, you know, you could drink some colas while watching Oscar Colas. That'd be kind of fun. He's been referred to as the Cuban Otani, which if you follow baseball, you probably know what I mean by that. He pitches and plays the outfield. And I I do think you're going to start seeing that more and more as technology starts to allow guys to heal their arms while hitting and all that kind of stuff. Because when you think about like when you were a kid, who was the best hitter on your team when you were in Little League or even in high school ball? 
normally the best hitter on your team was the kid who could also throw gas and pitch for you once every five days. But then they make them stop once they like get in the later years of high school or college. I really don't understand why. So, but the rumor is Oscar Colas is not going to pitch. He's just going to hit and play the outfield, which is, I don't want to say it's disappointing, but he does have some good pitching statistics with some of these teams that he played with in his international career. But a lot of people are also, and Colas is the fifth overall international prospect in this year's class. That's really, really good. He probably will play for the White Sox one day. Um, Not sure he'll have the level of success that Jose Abreu or Luis Robert did or do or are having with the White Sox right now. But people like Johan Moncada was an international free agent signing for the Red Sox. Eloy Jimenez was for the Cubs before they were both acquired by the White Sox via trade. So these guys do turn out to be good players a fair amount of the time. So I'm very excited for Colas as the fifth-ring prospect. Now, people within the game are also very excited that the White Sox also landed Eric Hernandez, who is the number 28 international prospect coming into the year. Obviously, 28, not quite the impact as Colas, but people are excited about this guy. If he can bring some power, he's he plays the outfield, for those who don't know, he could bring a lot to this team. And I'm excited about the future with both of these guys in the system. Maybe they're used as trade bait, as I kind of discussed with Seth earlier. You can use some of these prospects to enhance your team in other ways besides just developing them and playing them. The sky's the limit for these guys. I'm very excited for it. So the international free agent pool, you could go to southsideshowdown.com to read about Colas and Hernandez in extreme detail. And then, of course, the other teams across the fan side of network who landed top uh, prospects throughout this international pool. And another cool thing about it, it's baseball news during a lockout. Teams are allowed to report about these guys. They're not major league baseball players yet by definition. So the Chicago Cubs, are they rebuilding or are they trying to win? I want to hear your opinion. Put it in the chat. I'm curious what you think about that. They sign players like Clint Frazier and then you go, whoa, that's a guy that you just try to get to rebound his career and turn it into something after having some tough years with the New York Yankees. And then if he hits great, you keep him. If he doesn't, he's just an innings eater. That's the sign of a rebuilding team, in my opinion. But then you acquire Wade Miley off of waivers. A rebuilding team doesn't have Wade Miley on their stats, just on their staff, just to eat innings. Now, if the Cubs move up, you know, if they try to trade him later on after he has maybe a good April or May, then yeah, I guess that is something you do as a rebuilding team. But Marcus Stroman, Three-year deal for Marcus Stroman. And the Cubs are going to try and tell me that they're rebuilding. Oh, Wilson Contreras has one year left on his deal. There's a lockout, so they're not allowed to extend him. But we've known that Wilson Contreras has had this issue for a while now. And we saw how that turned out for Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo, who dealt with the same exact expiring contract scenario last year at this time. There was an internal debate amongst the organization on whether or not they were going to extend these guys. Do we trade them? Do we not? All three of them ended up out the door. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Cubs do as far as that. I I see them as a rebuilding team because of the fact that Wilson Contreras, your best player, is on an expiring contract. And if he's not extended and you don't trade him, that is poor asset management by Jed Hoyer and his staff. The best thing the Cubs could do would be to trade that guy or sign him long-term. If you sign him long-term, then I'm going to start to believe that they're going to start trying to compete in the National League Central. I don't think they're better than the Cardinals. I don't think they're better than the Brew Crew. They have a chance to be better than the Reds. The Pittsburgh Pirates are trash. So 
But I also don't think the Milwaukee Brewers or St. Louis Cardinals are so good and so young and so up and coming that they won't begin to falter over the next couple years. Goldschmidt's not getting any younger. Arenado's not getting any younger. The Brewers are basically built on a pitching rotation because in the last two years, Christian Yelich hasn't lived up to being one of the best hitters in the league. So that's also very interesting to me as well. So that's what I got on the Cubs on the White Sox this week. What I do have this week is something very special that I kind of put a lot of thought into. And it's my list of top 10 teams in Major League Baseball right now during the lockout, according to me. I I took a long look at the list of teams that were at the top of Major League Baseball last year. And, of course, last year has absolutely no bearing on what's going to happen here in 2022, especially after some of the offseason moves. The Texas Rangers, as we talked about, are going to be significantly better. But are they a top-10 team? Probably not. And there are teams that got worse because people leaving. The Oakland A's probably would have been on this list this time last year. And, of course, they fell way out this year. They might not even be in my top 20 by the time it's all said. They might even not even be in my top 29 by the time it's all said and done. I mean, teams come and go as they please, but I have a list right now of the top 10 players according to me. Number 10, I was between the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. I gave the tiebreaker to the Toronto Blue Jays. I have the Yankees at 11, Blue Jays at 10, and I honestly can't believe that this is where we're at. The Yankees, to me, they're falling off. I don't really understand how people can, they're like the second best odds to win the World Series. I don't buy it. That's just not the way I see it. They're, they're not getting any younger. They, the pitching staff behind Garrett Cole is very suspect. Yes, they have Garrett Cole. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. I believe Aaron Judge is a game breaker, but I'm taking the Toronto Blue Jays. They did lose Marcus Semien. They still have Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the middle of their lineup. George Springer is probably going to be healthy for the full year. And then they have Jose Barrios as their new ace. One of the big issues last year was pitching. All their pitchers lived up or exceeded expectations and made the Blue Jays actually have a formidable staff. And then you add Barrios, who didn't have his best year ever, but in a full year with a new organization, and you know he's got a long-term contract, he's got security. I believe that the Blue Jays are better than the Yankees. They get the 10th spot. And I actually think by the end of the year, they could creep into the top five of this list because we're going to keep this list going throughout the year. And hopefully I can have Joey here to help me critique it. Number nine, the Boston Red Sox. Why? Well, some people might be disappointed that I have the Red Sox even as low as number nine because the Red Sox were expected to do nothing coming into the 2021 season. They were very bad during the COVID-shortened 2020 season. They had the fourth overall pick. They took the top high school prospect, and then they came out this year firing. And for the majority of the season, they didn't have their ace named Chris Sale, who's half of this podcast's audience should know very well. Nathan Eovaldi is very good. I, I dropped him down a little bit because I do think last year had somewhat of a Cinderella feeling in the playoffs. Let me be, be very clear about something. The Red Sox, in my own personal, non-professional world, are my second favorite team. They are the team I root for the second most behind the Chicago White Sox. So putting them at number nine did kind of hurt me a little bit after seeing them in the Final Four last year. But after losing um, you know, one of their better starting pitchers to the Detroit Tigers – and another year with now the debate between if they're going to keep Raphael Devers or Xander Bogarts long-term is now in full effect. I would like to see them land a first baseman that isn't Kyle Schwarber. Not that they can't re-sign Kyle Schwarber. He could be a Boston Red. That'd be great. 
But if they want to like really compete, I think they need a true first baseman who won't make errors in playoff games. Anthony Rizzo comes to mind. He was drafted by the Boston Red Sox originally. So hopefully the Boston Red Sox are able to creep up this list before the end of the season for my own personal thoughts and wishes. But as of right now, I have them at number nine. Number eight, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Brew Crew, sit in at number eight because of the fact that they have one of the best pitching staffs in Major League Baseball. Corbin Burns, Woodruff, outstanding one-two, Cy Young-level guys. Their their offense is capable, but I would like to see more from Christian Yelich. If Christian Yelich were to get back to that MVP form he had, Cup fans might remember when him and Baez were one and two in the MVP voting and they were awesome. I believe those two are – I believe Yelich can get back to that level. I don't know what's wrong with him. But if he could get back to that level, the Brew Crew could climb up this list big time and win the National League Central with authority. They, I still have them winning it as of right now, but I believe they could pass up some of these teams on my list going forward. Number seven, the most fun team to talk about for me this offseason has been the New York Metropolitans. The New York Mets were one of the busiest teams during the offseason. They landed Max Scherzer. I mean, Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom are going to be the one-two punch of a baseball team. I don't know if I'd be able to make that happen playing the video game. I mean, you legitimately, in the last 20 years, the three best pitchers have been, in order, in my opinion, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom. In 2022, I think Jacob deGrom is better than both of them, but a lot of pitchers are better than Kershaw now, but... If you have DeGrom as your ace, he'll start on opening day, first game of playoffs if they make it, and then you have Scherzer. You should be up 2-0 in any playoff series. So as long as the Mets can stay healthy and get into the playoffs, I believe that they have a chance to make a really big run. There's an issue with the Mets that will come up later in this list. Number six, my Chicago White Sox. I believe the Chicago White Sox are the sixth best team in Major League Baseball as we stand right now. They went 93-69 and and had a very nice season in 2021, and it was with some significant injuries. No team in Major League Baseball had superstars miss more games than the Chicago White Sox. I'm talking Luis Robert missing multiple months. I'm talking Eloy Jimenez. Missing the first 99 games of the season, Yasmani Grandal had some knee surgery that cost two months of his season. That's 150 home runs, not 150. That's about 110 home runs between three guys just missing, just gone. And they're being replaced with guys like Leary Garcia and Billy Hamilton and Jake Lamb. Nice guys, okay depth pieces, okay 26 men on most rosters. The White Sox won 93 games on the back of one of the best pitching staffs in Major League Baseball. Now, Carlos Rodon, he's going to be gone. It's very unlikely that he returns, maybe. But that means you're probably still going to see Dallas Keuchel make some starts, which isn't necessarily ideal. But you have the ace, Lucas Giolito. You have the second ace, Lance Lynn. And then I believe Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech sky's the limit for both of them. If they can stay healthy and their lineup – on most nights, 150 out of 162 games consists of Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and Eloy Jimenez. 
sky's the limit for this team. They could win the World Series. They should absolutely win the American League Central with these. I think the Guardians have fallen way off. I'm actually more scared of the Tigers than them. So the White Sox should be able to take that and run away with it. We talked about their bullpen already. I love the White Sox roster right now. When the lockout ends, I want to see a new second baseman, and I want to see some right field depth. If rookies like Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets can hit the ground running next year and maybe platoon some DH time, that would be outstanding as well. Number five, the San Francisco Giants. I, I struggled with the Giants here. I contemplated leaving them off the list. I contemplated putting them at 10. I contemplated putting them on pretty much every position below five, and I'll tell you why. They had the best record in Major League Baseball last season. I don't know if in all my years watching baseball, I've been more confused about the team who had the best record the year before. The new or the San Francisco Giants really surprised me last year. They have aging veterans. They have a couple young guys. Their pitching was solid. They traded for Chris Bryant. I don't think Bryant's going to return there, but you never know. The fact that the Giants won all those games kind of unexpectedly, it makes it, me, it makes it hard for me to disrespect them right now. They could prove me wrong and really fall off next year. There's a chance they come in third because another team that I left off this list from the um, National League West is the San Diego Padres. If the daddies come out next year and dominate like they did the year prior to last year, 2020, with Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and Clevenger's coming back, and you know they got a really good rotation, especially if Mackenzie Gore reaches his top prospect status in Major League Baseball. The Padres could threaten the Giants for second in the division. But as of right now, I can't disrespect the team that won 107 games. I just can't do it. I got them five. Number four, the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros are the defending American League champions, they played against a team in the World Series, team higher up on the list, no spoilers. They won the American League with relative ease. The Red Sox made the first three games of that series difficult on them, and then the Astros just were like, wait a minute, we're the Houston Astros. We have Hall of Famers all over the field. And there are some White Sox fans that are like really down on the team because of how badly the Houston Astros destroyed them. Let me tell you something. The White Sox are not as good as the Houston Astros right now. They weren't last year. They could prove to be this year. If they stay healthy, we'll see. And, you know, gain more experience and stuff like that. But, man, the Astros are champions. I, I know they had the sign-stealing scandal and all that, but you still got to know how to hit a baseball and throw pitches. And they're getting Verlander back. Losing Carlos Correa is going to be hard, and that's the reason I don't have them at number two on this list. If Carlos Correa was sticking around with Houston, I believe I would have them at number two because I did write them in as number two, and then I scribbled it out remembering the Carlos Correa stuff. Losing him is tough, but you still have Bregman and Guriel and Altuve. And, of course, Lance McCullers is like a Cy Young favorite as long as he's healthy. They're getting Justin Verlander back. I have no quarrels with the Houston Astros right now. I think they should be a top team in Major League Baseball again next year. I do believe they will win the American League West. Number three, the defending absolute dominant playoff team that was the Atlanta Braves. The Bravos were awesome last year, guys. I mean, they, they were kind of stinky early on. and then it, But they also had like great underlying stats that was like, this team's going to come out of it. They were really, really good. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt. And it was like, whoa, the Braves, 
they don't have Ronald Acuna anymore, they have no chance. They're in four, they're in fourth. The Phillies are better than them. Who? The Mets? Oh, oh, the only team in their division worse than them is the Marlins? Oh, oh, oh. No, sirree, not today. Not today, Braves fans. You guys triumphed. You guys won the World Series. I want to see you land Freddie Freeman again. I want to see him re-signed in the, with the Braves. If he goes to the Yankees or something, ew, Freddie Freeman, don't do that, Freddie Freeman, please. Go back to the Atlanta Braves. Do what you got to do there. You're one of the all-time great Atlanta Braves players. I'm excited to see how they can rebound. The World Series champions are adding a top-five player back in Ronald Acuna Jr. They're going to be a scary team. The New York Mets are going to make things difficult. The Braves are going to have to face some good pitching when they play the Mets. But as of right now, I have to give the slight edge in the National League East to the Atlanta Braves. Congrats on winning the World Series. This has been this has been largely a Braves podcast for a long time. We support the Braves here. We like the Braves. Good on them for being number three on my list. Number two. I talked about number two a lot earlier after the interview, but before this, and of course I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays are so disrespected year after year after year. They don't even have top 10 odds to win the World Series. The Rays, the team that no matter what, no matter how much you count them out, they come back the following year and prove you wrong. They won 100 games last year, and most people can't name three players on the Rays. I can, but I'm obsessed with baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays are an outstanding team. They're going to really – they might not win the AL East next year. They might prove to be a little too high on this list, but as of right now, the Toronto Blue Jays don't have – what I believe they need to take down the Rays. The Red Sox are short of the Rays, and the New York Yankees certainly aren't on the Rays level, and we don't even need to mention the Baltimore Orioles. So the Tampa Bay Rays, I have them as the number two team as of right now. Adding Glasnow back when he comes back from his Tommy John, I I don't think it's going to be before the season starts, certainly. Um, he will be back before the end of the year, I would assume, and by that point the Rays should have a pretty sweet lead on a playoff spot. I don't know what the playoffs are going to look like as far as expansion. But even if they don't win their division, they should be in the playoffs. Getting Glasnow back will help. He's one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. I'm excited about the Rays. I hope they figure out their stadium situation because I want them to stay in Tampa Bay full-time. Number one, the best team in Major League Baseball right now, regardless of losing one of their best players in Corey Seager, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Of course, the Dodgers, year after year, competing for the top spot in baseball. They won the World Series in 2020. Kershaw might not return, but they still have Walker Bueller, who's awesome. There are so many great players. Justin Turner. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mookie Betts. You know, they they are able to, and a lot of people get mad at the Dodgers for, like, buying stuff. Let me tell you something. The Los Angeles Dodgers, outside of landing Trevor Bauer last year, and he turned out to not even, like, work for them because he turned out to be a crappy human being, they build what they have because they're smart. Yes, they have money to support being smart. Think of the Dodgers as a mix of the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees like to buy a lot of people. Garrett Cole, A-Rod, you know, just the list goes on with that. The Dodgers, they use analytics and their brains to identify people, and then they have the resources to bring them in if they're a little expensive. For example... They're very good at drafting and developing prospects. They had 
good enough prospects where the Washington Nationals would trade them both Trey Turner and Max Scherzer last year. They didn't buy Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. They had the prospects they needed to trade for them. Same thing with Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts was a little cheaper because he had no control. And, of course, the Dodgers were able to sign him because that's where the money that's, – that's where comparing them to the Yankees comes in. But they had the brain to identify Mookie Betts, trade for him because they have good prospects that the Red Sox would have wanted and players that they would have wanted. And that's why they're the Dodgers. And they won 106 games last year and still had to play in a wild card game because the Giants won one more game and had the bye to the first round of the playoffs. So, But when you're the Dodgers and you have Arias and Bueller, you like your chances in a playoff game. Kenley Jensen's been a really good closer for a really long time. They keep finding these guys. Will Smith, really good. Not the one from Fresh Prince. So... Just great stuff from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And that wraps up my top 10. At number 10, the Blue Jays, 9 Red Sox, 8 Brewers, 7 Mets, 6 White Sox, 5 Giants, 4 Astros, 3 Braves, 2 Rays, 1 Dodgers. It's been a great show. I love talking about baseball with teams that I'm not the most knowledgeable of. I know a little bit about the Texas Rangers, but Seth Carlson did a great job breaking down their team and what they can do. Enjoyed recapping a little bit of my Michael Cope or my Liam Hendricks interview with joey that we did last week you could check it out on the barroom networks twitter facebook youtube all of it make sure you check out the liam hendrix interview it's great he gave us like an hour of his time just shooting the shit basically is the best way to describe the interview with liam hendrix and of course you can check out all the great shows on the barroom network we're talking bulls we're talking bears we're talking nfl playoffs we got hockey next week wednesday 2 p.m bar down me joey frankie are going to break down what we see got the all-star game coming up that's super exciting for every fan of hockey of course the division round of the nfl playoffs where tom brady's going to make everybody his he's going to be their daddy once again go to the super bowl win his eighth it's going to be great and of course you know looking forward to championship sunday and the super bowl prepping for the nfl draft all that sort of stuff is what we do here at the barroom network and we don't just talk about sports either we get down and nerdy talking boba fett spider-man Moon Knight, all this kind of stuff that you want to hear on the nerdy side of things, we do that here at the Barroom Network too. So I don't know what you're doing not checking out every single show. you got to be going to do that right now. And make sure you follow at Vinny underscore Parisi on Twitter. And, of course, as always, thank you for listening.